Welcome to Amazon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amazon. Thank you for joining me in this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 100 of the podcast, that's right, 100, we're ha- 100 episodes of the Amazon Planet podcast. Actually, dirty secret, it's 101. I started off with episode zero because um, I wasn't even sure what the heck I was doing. It was sitting in a closet uh, with the copy of Jocko Willenick's uh, Discipline Equals Freedom uh, Field Guide and just taking out a couple things from there, talking about wanting to start a podcast and having the guts to hit record and having the guts to hit publish. So yeah, that was a while ago. And now we're 100 episodes deep. And I feel really fortunate that people want to join me on to, <laughs> to talk and talk about learning how to teach better, talk about different angles on things. Um, had some fun opportunities to talk to people like uh, Rob Harvilla and Andy Weir. Uh, Rob Harvilla of 60 Songs That Explain the 90s and Andy Weir, the author of The Martian and Project Hail Mary. And I don't know, it's kind of cool that they were willing to join me on this uh to talk but then also to just the folks that i've known before like like just saying like hey you've read this book like i think about earl bell talking about culture code he's a local teacher local middle school teacher and he had read the book i'd read the book he's awesome <laughs> he's an awesome teacher and had some perspectives on the book and i was like hey you want to talk about it? and like literally that has been one of the most referenced episodes that i've had because that's an awesome book and he's an awesome teacher and you know maybe it is the the highlight is just getting the chance to talk about people's great work that they've put out into the world. So the books, podcasts, movies, whatever, right? And then getting the chance to have a great conversation with somebody. So like Matt Mifflin, the music producer of the podcast, he's been a frequent guest and and one that's been willing, <laughs> has been willing to talk to me about some weird stuff, like uh, some just random episodes of uh, the Broken Record podcast with Rick Rubin and um, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, you know, <laughs> And then people wanting to listen to it. So it's like all these sorts of things, like, you know, the people are willing to w- listen, that people are willing to uh, take the time to make a selection to it's an active, it's an active, it's an, it's an active experience, right? You just, it's not like the radio, you know, you just turn on the radio and like whatever's playing, playing, like, no, you have to go and hit play. And the fact that, that people are still hitting play, um, I appreciate that. And, and one of the things I said in that initial podcast episode is just one person listens to it. It's great. But even if no one listens to it, I'm having these conversations and I'm learning how to teach better. And then I, I want to think the people that I teach get the benefit of those conversations because I'm getting to incorporate that sort of stuff, that stuff into my own teaching. So at, at a minimum, I'm getting better and hopefully there's others that are getting better. And I know, um, you know, having the interactions with folks about the podcast has been one of the fun parts in the last few years that I've, that I've, had the podcast and then also to getting to start other podcasts. And that's where we're going to get into today's episode. Um, so over the summer I had a chance and, and we'll get the story gets kind of captured within this episode that I'm going to share. Um, but I had a chance to interact with several uh, students of a former student, which is kind of cool. Um, and two very dis- actually about as uh, 
far away from where I taught this student. So Phoenix, Arizona, and then uh, Hanover, uh, New Hampshire, and were where I interacted with former students of one of my students. And it was just cool to have those interactions, seeing the reaction that people had when they heard about uh, uh, this person that we're going to talk to, Kelsey Bosters, which will be in a second. And so I just wanted to talk to her about what she's doing. And so this is actually an episode of another podcast that I host. And that's the thing, too, is like once you start one podcast, hey, might as well start other ones. Um, Another podcast I started that's through the University of Mississippi School of Education, um, the Road to Better Teaching podcast, where we talk about mile markers uh, on the mile markers of professional growth. Uh, in that podcast, so kind of documenting those stories of learning how to teach better, right? It's all connected. And so I recorded an episode of that with Kelsey and wanted to just rebroadcast it here because when I was thinking about all the different things I want to do for episode 100, there's a couple books that I've held on to, or there's a couple folks that I'd like to interview that are still happening, but they're just on hold a little bit. In the end, I would thought, hey, this is me talking to a teacher about the awesome things that they're doing as a teacher, right? And I had a chance to teach that teacher, right? And this, my, one of my goals is about leading people to love others through teaching. And it sounds like Kelsey is loving others through her teaching. And I'm not taking it. I'm not taking credit. It's just awesome that a fact that I had a chance to be on, on her path, right? And a chance, like, just like, I don't know, I hope that Joe Dye um, maybe is a little excited that I was, uh, that he was on my path, right? Joe Dye, my clinical instructor, he's been on a couple times, um, who's very important to me in my development as a teacher. And just, I don't know, it's this interconnected web, right? And so just a chance that I wanted to share this with y'all, um, it's a real cool teacher talking about still growing in their teaching and just excited that she was willing to come on and talk a little bit. And so, Hey, this is going to be the hundredth episode. I'm excited for it. So without further delay, here is Kelsey Vosters on episode 24 of the road to better teaching. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Joel Amadon, and this is The Road to Better Teaching, a podcast series where we discuss stories of teacher development. And we are missing uh, Ann Monroe, but that's okay, because I am joined by Kelsey Bosters. Kelsey, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? So, Kelsey, I don't know if you could just give a quick introduction uh, of yourself, and because uh, it's been a while since we've actually talked, interacted, but can you just do a brief intro? Yeah, it's definitely been a while. Um, my name's Kelsey Vosters. I um, grew up in Wisconsin and ended up going to UW-Madison for my undergrad um, diploma. And then I ended up going into School of Ed, and uh, that's when I had Joel Yu as a teacher and really helped shape who I became as a teacher. I got my math certification at uw Right out of college, ended up getting a job at Middleton High School in the Middleton and Cross Plains Area School District, and this is now my 13th year, and I've been at that same school. It's grown a lot since I've been there, um, but yeah, I'm in my 13th year. I teach high school math. I've taught 
virtually every class that the high school offers except for AP Calculus and AP Stats. So I love my job and I feel really lucky that I started at a school and I'm still there 13 years later because I don't know if there's that many teachers right now that can say that. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A, you're, you are what we hope for with Giannis. We want him to stay the entire yes. time yes. With, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, that would be hey, a deal. Yeah. So uh, where in Wisconsin did you originally graduate? Just curious. So I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, Okay, right on the Mississippi, and um, ended up going to Central High School there. My dad was actually the superintendent, and yeah, graduated Central High School um, back in 06, and then ended up starting college right away in the fall of 06 and went to UW-Madison. Yeah, and then so you graduated in, in, was it graduating 11? Yep. Okay, all right, yep, so that was my last year. Um, yes, and, I remember you talking about going to Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> a lot of changes. A lot of changes were happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the little bit of background of how this conversation originated too. So I had the chance this past summer to do a couple things that were kind of fun with my senior, now a freshman in college. He um, was at a national debate tournament, and I was you know judging debate and then basically like supervising some kids that were, you know, running around. And when I, during the finals of Congress, congressional debate in Phoenix, Arizona, they mentioned that one of the kids was from Wisconsin. And I think it might've even heard from Middleton. And I just, and I, I have a connection with Middleton also, cause I used to, I used to be a bartender at Capitol Brewery as well. And so oh. yeah, for uh, many years, um, and you, we had actually just been there cause we visited there in the, uh, in the summer as well. So, um, anyway, so, and Hubbard Avenue diner, that's one of our favorite spots when we come into town anyway. Um, and I, you know, just, I always do those shot in the dark things. Hey, you're in Wisconsin. Like just went up and said, Hey, just curious. Have you, did you have, uh, uh, have Ms. Vosters as a math teacher? Like, oh. And like the face just exploded with a smile. And I, I oh, <laughs> and I can't remember the student's name, but uh, she was just glowing remarks about you as a teacher. And it was just like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And so immediately looked you up, looked you up your email, sent you an email and just said, Hey, just met somebody and love, must be doing some good things. Cause she loved you as a, as a teacher. And then, but same thing happened again, a few months later when I went to drop off my kid at Dartmouth. And this time someone came up to me cause I was wearing a hat that had the state of Wisconsin on it. And somebody comes walking, wait, are you from Wisconsin? And I, I still am a, you know, Wisconsin at heart. I was there for 30 years. And yeah. so I, I said, yeah. I think my son is looking at me. He's like, dad, you're from Mississippi now. Come on. I'm like, but like, no, no I, I was Wisconsin. Once roots. a badger, always a badger. That's right. Exactly. And so, um, and it's like, uh, I live in Mississippi now, but yes, I'm from Wisconsin. Where are you from? And he's like, uh, oh, we're from Middleton. And it was a, uh, brother and it, like dropping off his sister and, mm-hmm. and from Middleton. I'm like, Middleton, I'm going to, I'm just, Take it, ask again, like, hey, do you know Ms. Voster? Oh my gosh, yes, we love Mrs. Voss. And like, yeah, one of our favorite teachers. And it was just like amazing. Like, and you must be doing good things. And again, this podcast is about talking about mild markers on your development as a teacher. And given just these two just instantaneous, like exhilarated reactions to you as a teacher, you must be doing some good things. So I'm like, hey, you know what? This podcast is an always uh an excuse to have a conversation. So I'd love to have Kelsey on and talk about her development as a teacher. So kudos to you. 
Yeah. And let me just say, let's keep those like little shout outs to each other going. And I mean, to each other, like as an educational community, I feel like when educators reach out to each other with, with good news like that, like, Hey, I ran into this student that Mm -hmm. knows you. Um, it really, it really is an amazing feeling and it helps to really lift each other up. So thank you to Joel for you to like actually reach out to me when those things happened. And the funny thing about the second scenario, the brother and sister that you ran into, um, their younger sister is now a freshman and I have her in my algebra class. So the family like came up to me at back to school night and was like, Hey, we're so excited that you also get to have like our younger daughter. She's really excited to have you as a teacher. She's heard so much from her older siblings. And literally the first day of algebra class, she was texting on her phone, like right as class was starting and um, she was like, don't worry, I'm only texting my old, my older brother and sister to t- let them know that I'm in algebra class now. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, that's okay. But yeah, you can put your phone away now. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So that's it's great. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, and that is part of being in a, a place for a while too, is like, you get to have uh-huh. those, you know, familial experiences with, with different folks. And, and I'm kind of not getting that just actually one of the, my, uh, my kids both had one of our local teachers, obviously at the local elementary school, they both had the same teacher. And now that teacher's daughter is in mm-hmm. my class. And so I'm teaching her about teaching and she's, she taught and her mom taught my kids. It's just, I, I love, love it, it. Love it. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Full circle. Yeah, exactly. That's what, um, you had a chance to meet Joe Dye, um, who I had as a guest on my, the other podcast, the MNL Planet podcast. And, uh, I just loved hearing, like, I, I mean, you couldn't get through a, a, a lesson with him where he's like, Hey, talk to your brother, you know, saw your brother at the grocery store and say hi to your sister for me. And like, I mean, just trying to get through any lesson, it was just a miracle because he was like, had so many connections with everyone in his class. So <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So speaking of shout outs, I'm the, we do this uh, interview countdown where we do uh, kind of a three, two, one. And uh, we start off with thanking three teachers who have shaped your development as a person. So you can start off there with your shout outs. This is really hard for me because I feel like I have had so many amazing educators in my life, um, you know, growing up, going through elementary, middle, high school, but, and even college. Um, but the three that I narrowed it down to, I tried to pick some from elementary and upper level. So the first teacher that I would really like to give a shout out to and thank is um, Mrs. Carol Table. She was my fourth grade elementary school teacher. Um And she, when I think back to my elementary experiences, she was the first teacher I had that our class felt like a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the the funny thing about Miss Table is that I still run into her to this day. Oktoberfest in lacrosse is like a really big um, celebration. That's um, a my big family. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yes. Yeah. If you've ever been to lacrosse, you've probably heard about Oktoberfest. Mm-hmm. And anyway, she is very much involved in the Oktoberfest community. Um, and she's usually in the parade. Um, anyway, I usually am at the parade as well. And I, I run into her pretty much every year when I go to Oktoberfest. She still remembers me. It's been over that's 25 awesome. years. She knows me by name. And that's just the kind of teacher that she is. Um, she is warm. She um, 
really like reminds me when I'm teaching every day that the most important thing as a teacher is how you make your students feel when they walk into your classroom. And I feel like that class, fourth grade, was the first time that I really felt like I belonged and felt Mm. like I was part of a family. And, you know, that's because of how Mrs. Table was. So nice. that's my first one. Love it. My second one is um, one of my English teachers from high school. So her name's uh, Mrs. Mary Newgard Larson. She is a English teacher at at, uh, Central High School uh, where I grew up. And I had her for two years. I had her as a ninth grader. And then what happens or what happened is um, I ended up taking that class as a ninth grader. It was like a required English class. But I loved her so much that I specifically chose a class senior year that I knew she taught. Oh, um, and I think when when you find that students are doing that, you know that you're doing something right as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, she is quirky. She is funny. She is sincere um, and kind. And um, she really has a way of like celebrating students' uniqueness and making sure that everybody knows that they're special because everybody is special in their own way. And she she really was good at that. Um, and I'm not sure, I, I think she's retired now, but uh, she was a teacher at Central for a very long time. Um, she had high expectations for us. We all, like students in her class, wanted to do well. Um, we wanted to meet her high expectations. And she taught this speech class um, that I took my senior year. It was a really popular class at my high school because again, she taught it and everybody loved her. And, um, it, as part of the speech class, students had to basically give a really big speech about something that they were really passionate about or something that was like really important to us. And she just had this ability to create such a safe space that students were extremely vulnerable. They they felt like they could talk about anything. And it allowed us as a class to kind of learn empathy and um, create that like vulnerable but safe space. So that was my second one that I thought of. That's um, awesome. Shout out to Miss Newgard Larson. She is amazing. Yeah. What a great um, name too. <laughs> right? Yeah, so yeah. she actually uh, married another teacher, uh, Mr. Larson, at at Central. So okay. like they were kind of, you know, a power couple in the yeah, school. Yeah. Everybody, everybody loved having Mr. Larson for social studies and everybody loved having Miss Newgard Larson. She hyphenated her name nice. for um, English class. So mm-hmm. they were definitely a power couple at school. Nice. Um, the third and last teacher that I'd like to give a shout out to is uh, Mr. John Schmidt. He is a high school math teacher at Central High School. I was fortunate. I got to work with him for three out of my four years of high school. So not only did I have him for algebra one class, I had him for honors geometry. And then as a senior, I asked him if I could be a student tutor in his class. And that was really the first time that like, I felt that spark of, I want to be a teacher. Um, He, he was one of my only teachers in high school that I felt like focus more on project-based learning and like creating unique learning opportunities for students. It felt different. It felt different from like, I'm going to stand up at the board and we're going to do these 10 math practice problems. And then you're going to have time to work on your homework. Like a lot of my math classes 
right. you know, leading up to that felt like that very much like drill and kill and mm-hmm. let's do this worksheet where you do basically the same problem 20 times. Um, you know, back in the nineties, yeah, yeah. that was, that was normal. Right. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Schmidt was one of those teachers that he, he did things differently. He did things very much project focused and, um, it's crazy. Like I actually, in my storage still have some of the projects that I did for his class because I have really good memories of that experience and how he created learning opportunities that were different than what we were used to as students. So that was my third one. What's an example of a project that you did? Oh, okay. Just go get it. No, Oh gosh, I probably could find it. If you gave me 10 minutes, I guarantee you I could find it. But one of them was the geometry art project, something like that. Mm -hmm. And basically we had to pick a theme and I picked Christmas because as a kid, that was my favorite holiday. And I think when we did that project, it was like around holiday season. So we had to pick a theme and we had to basically um, find geometry everywhere. And we had to take pictures of it, you know, talk about it, talk about the types of angles and shapes that we saw. And I literally still have that binder to this day with my geometry art project, with my grades still written in from Mr. Schmidt that many years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's awesome. But yeah, yeah, getting you all to answer the question, Hey, when are we going to use this? When are we going to see this? Like, Hey, it's, (laughs) it's in Christmas everywhere. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. That's great. Um, what about two reasons or events that led you to become a teacher? Kind of it sounds like you may have listed one, but what are some others? Yeah, I think uh, my main two are honestly my mom and my dad. I um, and the amazing educators that I've had along the way. But like the reason I feel like I put so much importance on education is because I was raised in a household where education was important. And um, my mom and my dad were very education focused. So my mom was a reading specialist for, I don't know, more years than I even know. Um, And that's, you know, eventually she retired from that position, but she was a reading specialist. And then my dad um, actually kind of worked his way through the education system. He was a band director. He was a fine arts director. Then he was an associate superintendent, and then he was superintendent of um, lacrosse for actually many years. And um, that experience of seeing my parents um, and how they devoted a lot of their lives to education and, um, you know, empowering people um, really, really influenced my, like, passion to become a teacher. So I guess I have my parents to thank for that. Um, And honestly, like my entire family now is education focused for their careers. So my sister um, teaches at University of Minnesota. Mm. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher. And then my brother also teaches at a high school. He's a band director. And then he also um, directs a jazz band. So everybody in my family is very education focused and I, that absolutely has everything to do with why I got into teaching in the first place. So it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So now we come to the the one and that one is a mile marker. Um, 
like a mile marker on your path to becoming a better teacher. And again, you're talking about a, a path that's extended and you're just in your time at, uh, at Middleton high school, like for a long time. So like, so thinking about placing one mile marker on your road, that, that might be a little bit stressful, but, but I'm going to challenge you to do it. So what, what might be that mile marker? This was really hard. Um, it was insanely hard. I mean, <laughs> I did the thing where I looked back at previous email threads. I was like going down through this rabbit hole, trying to think of different ideas. And I kept coming back to one that's actually pretty recent. But to me, it's the mile marker that's had the most impact on where I am right now, like awesome. this year yeah. in my teaching. So um, I've always been a firm believer that when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as a teacher, if you're not taking advantage of opportunities to learn and do better, you're doing yourself and you're doing all of your students a disservice. So that's kind of always been my mantra of like, I'm going to continuously learn as a teacher. I'm never, I'm never going to be done learning how to be a good teacher. And, you know, I'm always that person that will take advantage of um, conferences or like, you know, different opportunities to take in new information. And so last winter, one of my colleagues was actually helping to lead a book study through the Wisconsin Math Council. And she was one of the facilitators. So she sent out kind of a, an email to our whole department just talking about the book study and explaining what it was going to be about and what book we were going to read and really just encouraging us to join. And it was going to be with teachers from all over the state. And so I was like, all right, let's do it. It was virtual. I could do it in my basement. And the book was uh, Building Thinking Classrooms um, in Math by Peter Loliadal. Have mm. you heard of yeah, the book? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. It has changed my life. <laughs> um, so I joined this book study, not knowing much about it at all, not knowing much about the book. I actually had never heard of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I unfortunately, like being a busy mom and teacher, I usually don't read unless it's something like that sounds horrible, but I usually don't read unless it's something that I'm like assigned to read. You know, I'm never that person that will just read for fun. But anyway, I was like, this is a, this is good. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. So I joined this book study and, um, for listeners, if you're not familiar, um, it's basically a book that has both micro and macro moves that for a, a high school math teacher, and it highlights 14 practices. Uh, basically the practices are to help your students be better thinkers mm-hmm. and um, really just increase engagement, increase collaboration, increase how students learn math. And um, after I joined the study and I started reading the book, I found myself constantly finding reasons why something wouldn't work. So mm-hmm. I would read a chapter and I would be like, creating visibly random teams that will never work in my classroom. Like I found myself as I was reading, like actively doing this. And it took me a couple of chapters to really like reflect a little bit and ask myself, why am I doing that? Like, why am I reading all of these, you know, practices that are actually like research-based that Peter Liliadal has put into practice and researched for years? why am I finding reasons why these won't work? Like, why am I so quick to jump to those conclusions? And I 
you know, found that a lot of his ideas were going against some of the ideas that I had been using in my classroom since I started teaching 13 years ago. Mm. And that can be really scary when you, as a teacher, are reading about something and an author is saying, this might be actually harming students. And you know, you've been doing it for years. It's a really scary moment. Mm -hmm. So I went through this book study and um, after the first several chapters, kind of had this aha moment of like, stop doing this, like (laughs) stop putting your wall up and be willing to just take in something new. And the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to try to implement some of these things and they're not going to go well and that's okay. (laughs) Um, And so... Yeah, I I found myself finding small things that were highlighted in the book and just starting really small. And I can genuinely say now during this school year, I've implemented a lot of the practices and I'm so glad I did. I feel like I am becoming a better teacher because I had this moment of instead of thinking why something can't work, trying it anyways and... um, giving it a shot. So what was like this, like the something small, like what's, what's just so people can understand a little bit, like what, what's something yeah. small that people could do? So one of his chapters is about creating visibly random teams mm-hmm. and it's literally what it sounds like. So instead of the teacher strategically putting people into groups mm-hmm. or instead of letting students pick where they sit every day, Um, he talks about the amazing things that can happen when not only do you randomize groupings and teams in your classroom, but you do it in a way that students recognize, oh, this is truly random. Like you literally do it in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he has a whole chapter on this in his book. And since I started teaching, um, we use the CPM curricula at Middleton and CPM. CPM, Yeah. yeah, Love me some CPM. College preparatory mathematics. Yes. Yes. But since, you know, since I got my initial CPM training, one of my like normal practices as a teacher was to create a te- create teams, usually six to seven teams. They sit in those, you know, students sit in those teams for a full chapter and then we take a team test and then we switch teams for the new chapter. And for years, this is what I thought, hey, this is what's best for students. Mm-hmm. They can get used to their team. They can get comfortable in their team. They might be more willing to share ideas. I had all of these good, you know, intentions behind it. And it was what I initially learned. But um, in reading this book, I learned that some of the things that I'm doing, like the teaming idea, I might actually be harming students. So one of the things that Peter talks about in his book is if the teacher is always choosing the teams, I might be, even if I don't want to admit it, thinking about, okay, this student is usually a leader. So I know Mm -hmm. that if I put them in this group, they are going to help facilitate discussion and they are going to like get things going in their team, you know, and then this other student tends to be really quiet. So maybe I'll pair them up with this other student who's very extroverted. Maybe they can bring them out of their shell. I think a lot of teachers do that without even really thinking Mm -hmm. about it. And again, it's not with bad intentions. It's with good intentions. But he has uh, this point that he brings up in his book that basically is like when students know that a teacher is picking their group, 
they automatically have this idea of, okay, the teacher put me in this group because they think that I'm like the weak link, or Mm -hmm. they think that I'm going to be the leader and I always have to facilitate, or they know that I'm always the one that shares my ideas. So I'm going to carry the team. The students automatically will take on these roles of whatever the teacher thinks, you know, whatever they think the teacher wants them to take on. And when I read that, I was like, wow, that's actually a really valid point. And I've been unintentionally doing that for years. So when I started using um, visibly random teams, it truly like opened up, it opened up so much in my classroom. Um, I remember being super scared thinking, kids are going to hate this. Kids are going to say, no, I don't want to do this. Kids are going to say, why do you always make us move and like switch tables? And I've been so surprised at students' flexibility and so surprised at the sense of community that we've created in our classroom. Um, when we, we typically start at a home base. So I'll randomize home bases and that's where they'll start for each class for a whole chapter. Mm-hmm. And then um, usually after we do an activity, I'll put, um, have you ever heard of Flippity? No. Uh-uh. It's like a, it's a quick, easy way for teachers to create random teams. You can do pairs, you can do trios, you can do as many teams as you Sweet. want. You basically upload your roster and with the click of a button, a wheel spins and it creates groups. So students know now when I get my Flippity screen up, they're about to move and they're yeah. about to work with some different people. And it's amazing. The first, you know, the first norm is they get to their new team. They know that their first job is to make sure they know everybody's name at the table. And then we get to work. And um, I feel like it's such a small thing to randomize teams like that. But it's truly changed, like, the sense of community that I've been able to create in my classroom this year. Awesome. Yeah. And even just to think like, you know, some people might be saying like, wow, Kelsey's already using groups. She's using a, a great curriculum. And then like, now we're thinking of like, you know, even to level up and like, let's, let's question things versus like, versus staying in cruise control. Right. But thinking about how to keep developing and saying like, oh, I could be, how could I disrupt power dynamics through this, you know, simple, simple, like random randomization and then getting kids to be able to flex and think like, huh, in this, in this scenario, I'm going to try being a leader. I'm going to try, you know, like being more of a follower this because I'm always taking the lead or like, you know, and I remember when doing that, I I didn't have flippity. I had the deck of cards that I would use uh, in my randomization. Uh, But sometimes there'd be a group that would, you know, show up and like, you know, I had these like animal kind of characteristics that I would use sometimes to, you know, cause we're getting to know each other and like line is one that's like, I like to take it charge sort of characteristic. And I remember mm-hmm. like one time I had a group that was like three lions in it. I'm like, let's see how this shakes out. Cause like, <laughs> like who, who actually wants to take control here? Or, you know, some people can flex and be followers, but it's cool that they get to see these different dynamics play out. And I imagine that you get to see some things like, I don't know how this is going to work, but then it works out or some fun things happen, but it wouldn't have happened yeah. if you taken control of that situation. Exactly. It, it truly has broken down barriers in my classroom, That's social awesome. barriers, multi, you know, ability level barriers, Um, I feel like my students are more willing to help each other. And I think they actually really appreciate that none of it's permanent. Mm -hmm. You know, if I happen to be working with a team today and I don't 
really vibe with them, which totally happens. And we talk about that all the time in my classroom. Sometimes you're not going to vibe with your team. That's okay. You're going to get a new team next class and you're going to eventually work with everybody in this room. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And that's part of life. Yeah. Like just thinking about some classes where you find out that kids don't know each other's names and it's like, uh-huh. what what happened there? You know, like that's like, this is a small place. Like how do we not work with each other? So anyway, that's great. Yes. That's awesome. Um, and you kind of talked about this a little bit, but why is this mile marker important to your growth as a teacher? You had to synthesize that down. Yeah. I think the main, the main thing that it brings me back to is as I continue to teach and I become this veteran teacher, I want to always remember that just because I've been doing something a certain way for many years, it doesn't always mean that that's what's best for students. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay. I don't need to feel guilty about it. I don't need to feel shame about how I used to do something and how now when I look back at that, I actually think it's a horrible idea. I don't need to feel any of those feelings. I just need to move forward. And when I know better, I do better. So I think that, this mile marker for me, this book study really just allowed me to reflect on that and realize that even after 13 years of teaching, I still have a lot to learn. And it's okay to look at a practice that I've been doing for years and thinking, oh yeah, this is definitely like what I should be doing because it's how somebody taught me to do it. Mm -hmm. It's okay to switch things up and it's okay to be like, hey, times are changing teaching practices can also change. Um, you know, I think the pandemic brought a lot of that on. Like yeah. the pandemic was horrible for so many reasons, but it also really brought to light um, some of the things that maybe educators wanted to change um, about how education is in our society. So I think for me, that's that's what it comes back to. It comes down to being reflective, no matter how many years I've been teaching and understanding that just because I've done something a certain way, it doesn't mean it's what's best for students. And that's okay. As long as I try to do something about it. If I, if I feel like I need to change something. That's beautiful. So, you know, that's obviously important to you and your development, but also we, we try to connect these to the standards and I sent you the standards and, and uh-huh. uh, behind the scenes uh, sort of story too. the process that we're using for this podcast is reflective of a podcast that we use to talk about artifacts here at the university of Mississippi school of education. But it was something that I brought with me <laughs> when I, when I went from Wisconsin, which is where this process of reflecting and, and identifying these artifacts of your development as a teacher came from when I was working as a doctoral student and then also working with the portfolio system there. So like thinking about that and aligning it, why is this mile marker? Why is this moment important to the field? And so we have the standards and like, and I'm here to help too, because I know probably haven't been looking at uh, these uh, uh, <laughs> developmental standards, but anyway, did I you? I did a little bit of my homework. Oh, yeah. I know, I know yeah. you can do it. <laughs> I mean, you know yeah. how I am as a student. Oh, I'm yeah. going to do my homework when I have homework, but That's no, right. I, I scanned the list uh-huh. and honestly, I mean, a lot of the standards are similar. You know, you can go anywhere and a lot of them, you see similar things, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, the three that stood out to me with what I've been talking about today is uh, standard three, mm-hmm. the learning environments. Yeah. So making sure that I'm creating a space in my classroom 
um, that encourages collaboration and encourages positive social interaction mm-hmm. and engagement. So yeah. that was the first one that really stood out to well, me. Even that self-motivation piece, what you're saying too, is like, Hey, I'm motiv- yeah. like, like, I, I, this is, I, I am going to contribute to the, how did this group functions? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That one's probably the biggest. And then the other two that I thought were relevant were, uh, was, uh, standard nine, Mm -hmm. the professional learning and ethical practice. Um, you know, it's this mile marker, like this, me doing this book study was truly me engaging in this ongoing learning and reflecting as a teacher and understanding that doesn't matter how many years I teach, I can still learn from other people. And it's important for me to do that. Um, and then the third one was standard 10, um, leadership and collaboration. I think, uh, this experience has shown me that like collaborating with others is so important. And, um, actually several of my colleagues, um, in my math department at, or in the math department at Middleton high school, um, several of us did the book study and they're actually redoing the book study this year. So a bunch of people that didn't do it are taking part now. I think it starts this winter, but, um, it's something that's come into PLC meetings, our professional learning community meetings. Uh, we bring up chapters of the book. We talk about specific things. Um, that's actually where I learned about Flippity. Uh, another teacher yeah. was talking. So I had actually been using cards as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and turns out that happens to be like an old school method. <laughs> and that's so a, I'm old school. There we go, Kelsey. <laughs> right. And, and I was, well, I wasn't even using a regular deck of cards. I was using, um, have you ever played the game set? Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was using uh-huh. set cards. So like, uh-huh. you know, handing people the card and then be like, find your color or find uh-huh. your shape or whatever. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's what I had been doing. And then, you know, talking about the chapter on visibly random teams from, uh, Peter's book was, uh, you know, this discussion starter in one of our PLCs and somebody was like, Hey, you should use this easy spreadsheet with Flippity. And that's where that, you know, came from. So awesome. it's allowed me to, get ideas from my PLC members and also share some of my ideas too. Yeah. What I really like too about this mile marker that you chose as well and really thinking about that idea of standard nine, that idea of, you know, the continually evaluate your own practice is like, uh-huh. I mean, you kind of started with a place like, Hey, I, that won't work or that will work. I mean, like even like that change of mindset, like you had to be like that, I don't know, even like struggle with like, I have my own practice. You're saying, Oh, it's kind of maybe not good enough. We're versus we're always growing as teachers and like having to like say, okay, I gotta, I'm going to, I have been doing, I've been successful, but there's always room to, for growth. And like, think about what that means for not only you, but your colleagues and your students, like what that meant to show like, Hey, I'm still growing too. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. It definitely was a roller coaster of, defensiveness to, well, what's the worst that's going to happen here? If I kind of open up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we talk about having a pocket size philosophy statement, like something that guides our actions, something you can carry with you. So like for me, it's, I want to lead people to love others through teaching. Um, but wondering if you had a pocket size philosophy statement that you kind of use to guide what you do in the classroom. Yeah. And this really brought me back because (laughs) we had your right yeah. A little philosophy. Yeah. I remember, uh, being, you know, a fifth year student about to graduate with my math cert and 
writing my little pocket-sized philosophy statement. So it's definitely changed throughout the years, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but currently, my philosophy is that as a teacher, my role is to create a safe space for students to take ownership of their learning, gain confidence in their ability to learn math, and contribute to an environment where everyone supports one another. So this is a kind of a neat question to follow, and, and also you can kind of hear it in what you already just said, but how can we see the influence of this mile marker on your philosophy statement? It's kind of all over there, isn't it? Yeah, it's all over. Uh, you know, the whole book, the whole book study, all of our conversations were around putting the heavy lifting on, you know, on students, encouraging them to be the thinkers in the classroom. Um, not to say the teacher isn't doing work, but we want to make sure that students are doing the thinking and taking agency for their learning. Um, and, you know, the bigger piece, some of the examples that I gave today are definitely just about creating that supportive environment and having it be truly a classroom community where we're all here to help each other. Like everybody has something that they can contribute to this environment and we'll learn that as we work together throughout the year. So yeah, it's all over there. It's beautiful. So one thing I know we're going to do, well, we can put links in the, in the show notes for this. So we can put to Flippity and to the book as well. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. We get to do that, but one other thing I wanted to, I mean, you talked about the book, you talked about things you changes in it. And this is just one that I'd like to ask uh, across is just like, what's an, one other thing, if you had one thing that's like the best thing lately that you've been doing to help your teaching, like anything else that you'd think of besides what you've been talking about so far? Yeah, I think that's tough. I think one thing that I've been really mindful of this year is how I'm answering questions. Mm. Um, we've had a lot of conversations within our math department recently about specifically like the longer outcomes from the pandemic. Um, yeah. You know, we had months of staring at a mostly black screen, um, talking to an abyss. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we went to hybrid. I don't know what your experience um, where you are was like, but at yeah. Middleton, we switched from fully virtual to a hybrid situation where students were on Zoom for a couple of days and then they were in the building for a couple of days mm. so that it was less people in the building at a time. Yeah. Um, and then obviously after hybrid, we switched into everybody being back in the building. And this whole progression, um, when we initially came out of that, I think teachers, and I guess I shouldn't speak for everybody, but for me personally, I was so excited that students were asking questions mm -hmm. that I was eager to answer anything. Oh, and yeah. I was, I was eager to be like, Oh, you're asking me a question. Like this means that you're engaging. This is great. I'm going to help you in any way that I can. Mm -hmm. um, and basically it was my version of making learning as accessible as I could. Right. Yeah. As we were coming out of the pandemic and I'm now kind of reflecting now that we're a couple years out is that by the way that I'm answering questions, it actually sometimes can hinder students ability to persevere students ability to like take on a challenging problem and understand that they may not know how to do it right away. And that's okay. 
Um, and also just their general willingness to struggle with the problem. Mm. Um, we saw a pretty big drop in those features of like problem solving skills when we came out of the pandemic. And again, I think as a teacher, I played a role in that because we were so, I was so excited to have people back in my classroom and engage in any way that I would jump to save them anytime they had a question. Um, But ultimately it's, I feel like had negative repercussions. Mm -hmm. So this year I'm trying to be really mindful of, you know, when a, when a student asks me a question, how am I going to answer it? Am I going to make sure that how I respond encourages them to keep thinking? Or am I going to say something that's going to shut down the conversation and they're going to get the answer and they're going to get exactly what they want and then they're just going to move on to the next task? Um, and that's been something that I've really been focused in on this year. Yeah. Yeah. Something like a... It- you know, that over-serving of, of someone, you know, like, and they just, you know, they get taking it and then, yeah, not really thinking about how do I, how do I go get it for myself? Right. And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you see that with, with kids too. Like, hey, I just think of, a uh, uh, probably, a one of those, uh, you know, times when my child is like, is playing a video game and like, Hey, give me a soda. I'm like, eh, you, no, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not going to have, you need to, how about you come in here and have some water? There you go. You, you know where it is. <laughs> come on. There you know you where it is. You know where it is. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I, I love the, the, the deep reflection that you went in, in there and thinking about that. And also, I mean, and that's something too, I think about, cause we're dealing, we have, you know, kids that started as freshmen in college now being uh-huh. seniors and thinking about their experiences and how, not only like what their experiences is and like, how are we talking about them? And like, how are we talking about the students and how are we talking about the experiences that they had that have shaped them and our role as teachers and how that has shaped as well, their experiences. And now what do we do in in response um, to, and like thinking about, we all have a role in in this situation as well. And so it makes me think of one of my favorite articles. It's never say anything a kid can say. Uh, as well, yes. written by uh, a, uh, a teacher from uh, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, actually. So it's a great, <laughs> uh, great article. But uh, but yeah, that whole idea of how do we how do we help? How do we help by, you know, serving their needs, but not over serving. Right. You know, yeah, we want to empower them. We right. don't want to enable them to, you know, end up not persevering in the long run. Yeah. Well. Kelsey, I can't, I, I am, I am beaming. This is an audio podcast, but the smile on my face couldn't be many bigger. This is such a great <laughs> experience being able to just having those interactions over email and then being able to have this conversation and, and seeing you and development. And actually before the podcast even started, get to see a, a peek at your family as well. And I'm just uh, yeah. excited for you and, and excited for your students. Thank you. That means a lot. You, you were, one of the people that helped shape who I am as an educator. So I have you to partially thank for that. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, so thanks to Kelsey and and thank you for, uh, uh, for tuning in to the road to better teaching. This episode may be over, but the road to better teaching never ends. Please subscribe to the podcast so you're notified when the next episode is ready for you to listen. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast. You can also uh, share the podcast with someone you may feel interested in, in these stories of teacher development. And you can check out the show notes for this episode at road to better teacher teaching.com. Finally, thank you to all of you listeners out there for taking the road to better teaching. This world is a better place because you have used the gifts you have been given to teach others.
All right, there it is. Now, again, that's a uh, rebroadcast of an episode of The Road to Better Teaching, uh, which you can go to roadtobetterteaching.com and find more episodes. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. And and so, yeah, you can go to amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 100 uh, to find out all the links that were mentioned in this episode and also a link to the Road to Better Teaching podcast. Uh, now, those of you looking for ways to support the podcast beyond into the next 100 episodes, you can subscribe, rate, and review, and share this episode, which will allow more people looking for similar content to find it. Um, I think that's the best way for us to grow is through that sharing and, and word of mouth. Um, and you hear something, you're like, hey, someone else needs to hear about this. That's, and also too, that's a way to just show people that you, you know, it's almost like those little, like uh, thinking of you sort of things like, Hey, I'm thinking of you. I think you should hear this, or this made me think of you, or I wanted to say thank you as I was listening to this, that, that would be awesome if you did that. So that'd be a great way to support the podcast. In addition, you can subscribe to the Amazon Planet download, which contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet anywhere uh on the amadonplanet.com website where you say join where you see join the email list that'll get you access to the amadon planet download um starting to send those out again so hey join up okay you can also submit a question comment or suggestion to the mailbag by sending an email to joel at amadonplanet.com in addition i'm always looking for opportunities to work with those who are looking to lead people to love others through teaching if you have an event or opportunity to share you can either send an email to joel at amadonplanet.com or head to amadonplanet.com slash about to fill out the request a call form Finally, check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. Links are in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com, where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. All right. Thank you for spending time on Amazon Planet. Thanks to Kelsey Vosters for being willing to share her time and expertise and just her excitement for teaching on the episode of Road to Better Teaching. And then uh, just excited to get to share that here. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the, use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.